This week, we're excited to introduce a new hosting team. Sarah Forsyth is joined by her sister, Steph, for a chat with their friend, Meg. Meg is an accomplished hockey player who played in junior state teams, was involved in the VIS program for a while, and won a premiership with Hawthorne Hockey Club. Meg Lanning, of course, is now more widely known as captain of the Australian women's cricket team. Welcome to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. It seems a very long time ago now, during our current lockdown, but back in March, on International Women's Day, over 86,000 fans packed the MCG to witness Meg's Australian team defeat India to win their fifth World Cup title. We'll hear all about this, about hockey memories, forthcoming tours, and more in this great episode. You can find Meg on Instagram at MegLanning7. Thanks, Meg, for joining us on the show. Here's Sarah. Hello, welcome to today's podcast. My name is Sarah Forsyth and I am hosting alongside Steph Forsyth. Today we are fortunate enough to have an exclusive interview with Meg Lanning. Most of you know her as one of the world's best cricket players and the Australian women's cricket captain. We will discuss her pathway into cricket, her cricket career and leadership throughout today's podcast. However, most of you will be unaware Meg also had a blossoming junior hockey career. Meg and I became good friends playing hot shots and state hockey teams together. From rooming together in Ipswich when we were 13 years old to the highlight being winning the under-18 national championships in Port Lincoln. Now Meg doesn't need an introduction, but we are going to give her one anyway. In 2006, at just 14 years of age, Meg was the first female to play first 11 cricket for Kerry and the APS. In 2008, at 16 years of age, she made her debut for the Victorian cricket team. In 2010, at 18 years of age, Meg made her debut for the Australian cricket team. In 2014, at just 21 years of age, Meg became the youngest ever male or female Australian cricket captain. She is the youngest male or female to score a one-day international century and the first male or female to score 2020 runs. Meg was the ICC Player of the Year in 2014 and 2015. She has 13 one-day international centuries and two 2020 centuries, with one being the famous world record in the Ashes last year, where she scored 133 runs of 63 balls. Meg has captained three 2020 World Cup wins and captained two Ashes wins against England. To top it off, Meg was captain of the One Day International and 2020 ICC Team of the Year last year and, of course, captain of the winning World Cup team here in March this year. Meg, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you. No worries. Thanks, Steph and Forky. Good to be here. Meg, I want to start by mentioning your lack of social media presence. (laughs) With many athletes capitalising on social media today, you are in a rare company as being one of the only high-profile athletes who don't utilise social media as frequently. I have tried on many occasions to get you to post on social media and you have always held firm in your belief in privacy. Can you explain a little about this as social media is so prominent in sporting athletes these days? To be honest, I just like to sort of stay pretty private and um, not put too, too much out there. I don't think I'm that entertaining either. So, yeah, I just sort of keep my photos and things like that to myself and let, let the others who are better at entertaining do that. But I'm a bit of a, an observer on social media, so I'm on it and I look a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I, I try to make myself post once a month. I haven't been sticking to that, um, but it's a work in progress. So let's start by discussing your hockey career, Megan. When did you start hockey and how did you get into it? Uh, I started playing hockey uh, in year seven. Uh, so that was my winter sport at Cary. Uh, and then sort of, yeah, joined the Hot Shots as my sort of um, pathway team there. Um, so that was that was good. And I played a bit of club hockey for Hawthorne as well. So I sort of always wanted to play hockey um, growing up, but I didn't get the opportunity to do it till year seven. And, uh, yeah, I loved loved playing it up until uh, a few years ago. We won't hold that against you for playing for Hawthorne, and I still hold it to all our listeners today. Meg will come back to hockey post her cricket career, and I look forward to her joining Camberwell Hockey Club, of course. (laughs) Now, Megan, what was the highlight of your hockey career? I would have to say our under-18 tournament win in Port Lincoln. Uh, And runners-up the year before that 
in um, where was that Canberra? I think it was. that was in Canberra. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest, when we played in under 15s and whatnot, we were pretty awful. We came we were. at the bottom of the ladder most of the time. Mm. Somehow we turned it around and became quite good. So, uh, yeah, to be able to beat, um, I think it was, was it New South Wales we beat them home? Yeah, I think it was. We lost to them the year in Canberra and then we beat New South in the grand final in Port Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. So, that yeah, that was certainly a highlight. It was uh, a lot of fun that tournament as well when you go away for a couple of weeks with your Mm. friends and um, sort of enjoy each other's company and play a little bit of hockey here and there. It's always good fun. Should we tell everyone our secret ingredient to winning that championships, Megan? What, the caramellos before? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we should divulge that to everyone today, but we did eat a caramello koala before every game and look what happened. Yep, it worked a treat. It did work a treat. And just for all the listeners out there, we Megan won't say this because she's too humble, but we won that grand final 4-3 against New South Wales. And, Meg, do you want to tell the listeners how many goals did you score for us that day? Uh, I tapped a couple in, um, mostly from a metre out uh, from the goal. So I didn't really do much of the work. But, uh, yeah, I scored – I think I scored all four goals, actually. She yeah. did score all four goals, <laughs> just, just to clear that up for everyone. It was more than a couple of goals. And I like to say, Megan, I think I created your hockey career because – you put all the finishing touches on, but it was me that set all the plays up for you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'm a. I was a cherry picker when I played hockey. I just sort of stood on the post and deflected a couple in. So I definitely relied on on others to get my goals. I couldn't defend to save myself. Uh, so yeah, but I think every team needs a cherry picker, to be honest. So- you know what? Every team does. Meg obviously stopped playing hockey um, around that time for, for obvious reasons, and we went on to play under twenty ones, and we were still pretty handy you know we made a, a few grand finals and everything but for our three years in under 21s we could never win the tournament we could never win the championships and everyone would be like oh, I just don't understand where you know we're pretty good we've got the same you know pretty much the same team and you know what was missing Megan mm. you everyone needs a cherry picker <laughs> we all need someone to score score the goals so we did miss you in the the next few championships now one of the other highlights for your hockey career I'm sure was winning how many premierships did you win for with Hawthorne Hockey Club? Oh, I think I was only part of one of them, and that was the oh, okay. the very first one we won. Um, mm. We played Essendon, I think, in the final. Um, I remember scoring a goal against Cassie Brock, who's one of my good oh, yes. Essendon goalkeepers. So she still um, doesn't like me talking about that to to this day. But uh, yeah, even once I left Hawthorne, we were quite successful. Um, they were, yeah. And you used to play the odd game till a few years ago didn't you yeah I did probably five five or so years ago now was my last game I, I sort of yeah played when I could for a little bit but cricket got a lot busier so I had to mm. so Meg is it true growing up when you were quite young you actually wanted to play hockey for Australia yeah that's correct uh growing up sort of through primary school and when I was younger um I always wanted to say I wanted to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal in mm-hmm. And that was before I'd even actually played any hockey. Um, so, <laughs> yep. yeah, I guess the hockey areas were quite successful when I was growing up. So I mm. think that, that made me want to be involved. Um, but I was definitely nowhere near good enough to, to reach reach that height, I don't think. Again, I, I think you're being a bit humble there. You were had a VIS scholarship for a few years there. And I think Katie Allen, one of our past guests, will vouch for me here that Meg was well and truly on her way to playing hockey for Australia but what age did you realize you had to make the decision as to which sport you wanted to pursue Meg? I think it sort of made the decision for me in a way when I got picked to play for Australia with cricket uh, which was was around 18 I think it was um, that sort of just took over you know most of my my time I guess I had to commit a little bit more time to cricket and training and we were going away a fair bit so once I got to that point I guess cricket became the focus and, and hockey I mm. playing as much as I could, but um, it sort of sp- fell back into the background a little bit. I think we can forgive her for that decision. What do you think, Steph? I think it's fair. If only hockey got in first, it would have all been sorted. Yeah, may- maybe we'll blame the, the Australian hockey system for that, for not sl- for getting her up in Perth soon enough. Now, Megan, how did you get into cricket then and what was your pathway into into the cricket junior system? Yeah, I started playing cricket like, most kids out there, I think, in the in the backyard, with five kids in uh, my family, so there were plenty of people to 
play again. Um, through primary school, I grew up in Sydney actually, um, and my primary school, I always played with the boys at recess and lunch. None of the other girls played cricket, but yeah, we just played at recess and lunch, and I just loved running around, being active. It didn't really matter which sport. Uh, and then one day, one of the teachers came up when I was in year five and said that there was a regional girls team that I could try out for, and I thought I'd give it a go, and uh, I ended up making that team. And then that was yeah, that was sort of where it all started in terms of competitive cricket and and loving the game. Mm. And and what does an average training day look like for you, Megan? Obviously not outside the pandemic time. So let's take it back nine months ago. What what did an average training day look like for you? Yeah, generally it's a relatively full day. There's a lot more emphasis these days on strength and conditioning um, than what the was when I got started, especially sort of power. Um, stuff and, and things like that, trying to be able to move quicker and hit the ball further and things like that. So um, skills takes up a lot of the time. So in general, we'll sort of do a three-hour net session, give or take. Um, I don't bowl anymore, so I just sort of bat the majority of, of that time, which is pretty cruisy for me, um, and then some fielding in there as well. And uh, and then we usually do a gym session, which is probably an hour and a half, give or take, and then some running as well, which is all pretty short and sharp. Uh, we don't do too much longer stuff, especially once we get into the season. So, yeah, yeah, most days we sort of feel with, with that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, cricket, playing the game actually takes a while too and we sp- seem to spend a lot of time tra- training as well. So it goes more than you think, but uh, certainly a lot more than what we used to do. And, I mean, does your training differ in terms of if you're leading up to your 2020 games or a 2020 tour versus you know, a one-day or an Ashes tour, which is going to consist of a test match as well, or does it stay pretty much quite similar? I would say it stays quite similar, to be honest. Uh, my sort of game from a batting perspective doesn't change a lot from T20 to 50 over. You've obviously got a little bit less time and uh, to sort of push the game along a little bit quicker, but I try to go out there and bat the same way each time and then adjust to the situation as needed. So for me, it's, it's not too um, different each time I train, but there are some players where it will be different, especially bowlers and things like that. I think yeah. from a bowling perspective, you you probably have to get a little bit more defensive in T20 cricket and think about how you can stop the batter from scoring, um, probably a little bit more mm. than one day cricket. Variations as well. Yeah, variations and uh, you know what that looks like. So for some players it would change a little bit, but for me personally I, I try and keep it the same as much as I can. So why did you give up your bowling, Meg? I like direction when I was bowling I could bowl quite quickly actually uh but what was your pace like what were your figures oh I couldn't I couldn't tell you I got some handy wickets along the way though um did you ever actually bowl for Australia I think you did didn't you I've got uh three international wickets there you go see I I knew you bowled for Victoria but I didn't know if you actually bowled for Australia so in that Mm. first in the early days you actually did bowl for Australia but were there just too many wides and no balls in there? Were there, Megan? I only bowled when we were we were stuck, desperate. And yes, desperate. <laughs> and we needed something to happen. They'd throw the ball to me because I didn't know where it was going. So, and now one of the positives to being captain is that you never have to worry about that because you never choose yourself to bowl. Yeah, no, I would never choose myself to bowl. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, I actually back in the day I actually made my first state team as a bowler I was I was a bowler who batted a little bit I was very accurate not quite as quick and then I don't know what happened I lost the pot and um can't bolt straight anymore so got the yips. I got the yips so I've retired from that you got the yips and it never left good decision <laughs> <laughs> yeah now in terms of at the moment obviously um Meg you're a Victorian and stuck in Melbourne like a lot of us how has your training looked like for the last six months and how how's it changed during these challenging times? It's been quite different to what we're used to. Um, obviously, the sort of COVID pandemic started directly after our World Cup ended, uh, so we were pretty lucky in terms of getting that in. And then we actually were sort of headed for a bit of a break anyway, so uh, the start of the uh, the pandemic, I guess, wasn't wasn't too bad because we were due for a bit of a break and so uh yeah it was just pretty quiet during that time which which was nice and uh for the last few months we've been back in training we've been lucky enough to get some exemptions uh to keep training at junction oval so um yeah it's still been quite a reduced load to what we're used to so at the moment we're preparing for a a tour for new zealand uh and 
we're restricted to just training sort of three times a week in sort of three-hour time slots. Um, and, you know, ordinarily we would be training pretty much every day during the week and even like a Saturday morning. So we've had to learn how to be a lot more efficient with our time because we just, yeah, don't have the ability to to be training as, as much as we'd like to and um, there's been a few home gym sessions and things like that being done over time and uh, trying to, yeah, run around a little bit, make most of the exercise hours. So, yeah, it's been an interesting time, but uh, we're pretty lucky to be able to keep going with what we're doing. Now, Meg, um, obviously Victoria's in, in the stage four lockdown, but you're even in a tighter lockdown um, through Cricket Australia. Can you just talk people through that at the moment, this two week of this extra harsh lockdown that you're going through? Yeah, I can. So, yeah, so we're at the moment right in the lead up to the New Zealand series that we're playing. So from two weeks out from when we head up to Brisbane, we are essentially not allowed to go inside anywhere. So we can't go to the supermarket, no inside cafes. Um, everything has to be pretty much be delivered to our houses and um, we're allowed to exercise just by ourselves. Uh, we're not allowed to go for a walk with anyone or anything like that. So it's essentially just being very COVID safe and showing the governments that we're doing everything that we can to um, stay safe and keep the community safe and, and be ready for the tour. So we've also had to get a COVID test every every week uh so i've had two i've got one more to go before we leave uh and then yeah we head off on the 6th of september so pretty much i'm either at home or at training at the moment that's that's pretty much where i am well megan how are you going with your coffee seeing you can't go in anywhere i know how much you love your coffee and you pretty much go out and get a coffee every day in melbourne so how are you dealing with that yeah it's been a challenge i've got myself an aeropress which i've been using a little bit with um has has been nice but we are allowed to go to cafes as long as they're outside so they've got a little hole in the wall you can you can go and order your coffee there but that does limit the the places that you can go to you've got to sort of think through a little bit but when in doubt i've just been going with the aeropress good maybe that will go on tour with you definitely will be yep very nice now in terms of um, captaining, you were first captain when you were 21, which is pr- pretty young, and we've heard that you were the youngest male or female to actually become the Australian cricket captain. Did you have any leadership positions before this? No, I had no uh, leadership experience prior to captaining Australia. I hadn't actually even captained Victoria uh, up until that stage, and, and all through my junior career I I'd never been in a leadership position and, and to be honest, I hadn't really given it much thought. I, I was pretty happy just being part of the team and contributing in that way and, and I'd never really thought that I had leadership capabilities. Um, so obviously someone else did think that I, I had something and, uh, yeah, I actually got given the, the vice captaincy of, of an Ashes tour sort of out of the blue and uh, the captain, un- unfortunately, at the time injured her finger um, sort of halfway through that series and somehow I found myself in charge of the Australian cricket team and uh, I was literally making it up as I went along uh, because obviously I had no prior experience but um, I had some good support along the way. So it's it's been a nice journey so far. Um, it's been very challenging and sort of taken me out of my comfort zone but I, I love every moment of it. That's good. And what have you, for listeners out there, what have you learnt about leadership over the seven years? Uh, I think the biggest Part of leadership is building relationships and, and understanding the players and even support staff who you're involved with because, uh, you, know, you know, you want to embrace people's individual personalities and differences and strengths and things like that. And in order to be able to harness that, you, you need to understand them and allow them to feel really comfortable within the team environment. So I guess, yeah, my biggest challenge is, is to try and learn as much as I can about everyone within the team and build that trust and relationship and that that helps to to lead to on-field performance and the on-field stuff sort of uh, comes a little bit more naturally to me I guess you just sort of learn through experience with that and go on gut instinct a lot of the time but yeah I just think that relationships and and trust in terms of your, your teammates and building that is the most important thing. Yeah and that probably also just comes with age as well so as you've gained more experience and you've you've matured over the years, um, that's probably kind of come to you anyway. Now, in terms of building with those relationships and everything, I know when you had your shoulder injury in 2017, one of the things that you said to me at the time 
was how much you'd learned about being injured because we always used to have a laugh that I was always injured throughout all our junior hockey and that you you were never injured and you were very lucky and we always used to have a laugh about it. But I know that when you did get injured and you were going through your rehab in 2017, you said, wow, like I totally understand what injured people go through. So can you tell us about that challenge in your career and, and what you learned from it? Yeah, I, I think looking back now, it was a really uh, good thing for, for me to go through, even though at the time I, I hated it. Uh, I guess like leading into that period of time, I'd never really been dropped or out of the, the side. So I've always, I'd always sort of been in the, the bubble, I guess, and, and hadn't really seen it from anyone's perspective when they were on the outside a little bit. And I guess I found it hard to relate to, to players who were in that position. So from, you know, for me to, you know, I wasn't dropped, but I wasn't in the team and I wasn't involved in everything everybody else was. So it just gave me a little bit of perspective on how that feels. I remember I was at the test match in North Sydney Oval and I was there watching um, with the team. And I just remember being in the change rooms and just feeling really awkward and not knowing where to sit or who to talk to or what to do. And uh, I sort of, it was a bit of a light bulb moment, I guess, because you know, I was still the, the captain of the team. I wasn't playing, obviously. But if I was sort of feeling like that, then sort of gave me a little bit of an idea of what other people feel like when they're slightly on the outside. So mm. that just really allowed me to have more conversations with people around how they're feeling and what it looks like when things aren't going as, as you plan, I guess. So um, from a leadership perspective, it's actually been a really good experience to go through and I feel like it helped me to have a little bit more empathy and understanding of what other players are going through. Yeah. And and do you have any advice for people that do suffer long-term injuries and and, and how to get through that? Because it is a, a common challenge that many people have throughout their sporting careers, whether they be hockey players, cricketers. What What advice would you actually give people of all ages? I think it's important to sort of do it your way a little bit in terms of how much time you spend with the team. Like I, at the beginning, I was like, oh, and I'll be around the team all the time. Like I want to sort of be around. But that actually made me even, made it even harder watching people do something that I couldn't do sort of thing. So just getting that balance right for you in terms of, um, you know, your rehab, but also being still being a part of the team because everyone wants to, to feel part of it. So it's going to be different for everyone, but just working out what that looks like for you and, trying to yeah get the balance right between being around and part of the team but also make sure you're looking after yourself at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's also good for us as players to have probably more understanding of when people are injured because, as you said, you've um learned a lot from being injured yourself. But even when on the flip side when, you're you know, someone else is injured, you can understand kind of the struggles they're going through and the, the fact that they may not get to every session because they're doing – their own rehab or, or trying to, you know, maintain some positivity. Now, what would you say the most rewarding thing about your playing career has been? Uh, well, I've been like, lucky that the Australian team that I've been in has been very successful uh, over a long period of time, even from when I first came into the squad. There are a lot of great players and um, they really sort of brought that uh, winning, I guess, I guess, attitude. And um, yeah, I was lucky to be a part of that, but no doubt the 2020 World Cup just gone in March has been the the biggest highlight of of my career. There was a a lot of build up to that tournament, and mm. we yeah sort of rode the wave a little bit. We weren't great at the start of the tournament, but we sort of hit our straps towards the back end, and um, that whole experience is certainly something that I won't forget. Now, Meg, just before Sarah gets into the specifics of that World Cup tournament. I just want to talk about one important part of that tournament, and it was the Katy Perry concert. <laughs> now, I know, I know you're not a big hugger, and you actually were <laughs> in the celebration after the World Cup, but one of the greatest things um, when Sarah and I were at the game watching you was watching you celebrate after you got on stage, you danced. <laughs> which Couldn't believe it. To watch at times. And I really, really great <laughs> which your mum loves. <laughs> um, and I just want to talk it through um, getting up on stage, giving Katy Perry a big hug. I know you're a big Katy Perry fan. So what was that like being up on stage with her? Uh, yeah, it was amazing. I've actually got a couple of really cool videos uh, as we sort of walk up onto stage. Um, and 
Yeah, there is a photo of me hugging Katy Perry, uh, but what that doesn't show is that she sort of she actually snubbed me just before that, uh, <laughs> and I've got her on video. Uh, I was just going in like for the for the hug, and she went next door to someone else. Um, so that was a little bit awkward, uh, but I got her in the end. And look, I'm an awful dancer. Uh, <laughs> nobody was really watching me. They were watching Molly Strano, Sophie Molyneux, and Aaron Burns because they were a lot better. Uh, but hey, you don't get to dance on stage with Katy Perry um, very often. You don't. I uh, wanted to make the most of it, and uh, she was very generous with letting her take over, letting us take over a stage for a song. I remember just before that when we were having a chat after you won on the turf, listening to Katy. You were saying to me, "We just, we just want to get on stage," and I'm like, "We'll get on stage. Just, <laughs> just get up there." Oh, Forcey, we can't. There's security, and you know, but blah blah blah. And I'm like, Megan, just jump up on stage. So it was amazing watching you all jump up and I think it was just the pinnacle at the end of actually winning to actually be able to celebrate on such an amazing day with Katy Perry. Now I am going to take it back a little bit for that World Cup. What We all want to discuss about it and we all want to talk about it. Did you feel the expectations going into that World Cup tournament? Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, there was such a big build-up from a, you know, even from a year out. There was a lot of talk about it, and the the bit that I guess we found the not the hardest, but there was it was hard in terms of the media. All they wanted to talk about was the World Cup final, and yeah, yeah any athlete out there knows that there's a lot of steps before um, you can actually get to that point, and no doubt we wanted to be part of that. But uh, just being really careful in how we approach that and, um, you know, we wanted to really embrace the fact that, it you know, it could be an amazing World Cup final and we wanted to be there at the MCG on that night, um, but also acknowledging that, that, you know, World Cups are extremely hard to win, let alone get to the final. So, yeah, we we had to make sure we kept ourselves in check there. But I sort of knew we'd be all right in that respect, um, just with our attitude and things like that. We, we never really got ahead of ourselves. We, we knew it was going to be difficult the whole time, but the, the media seemed to think that it was a given that we would be there, but we were very clear on the fact that there was a lot to do before we got to that point. And I don't often defend the media, well, very rarely actually, but in the lead-up to that World Cup, you'd, you'd practically won every tournament in the past few years. So you can understand why they were building it up and wanting to fill the G, but you also have to appreciate the the pressure, I guess, that it, that it puts then on the players as well. And we know you had a poor first game. So your first game was in Sydney against India. Um, and basically India just spun you out on a slow pitch and, and basically completely outplayed you guys. How did you pick yourselves back up and, and, you know, turn up for the second game and not drop your heads with such with such a disappointing start to the tournament? Yeah, we were very disappointed after that first game. Uh, in the dressing room after the game, it was very somber mood. Uh, and and really because what actually happened out there, especially with the with bat, um, it was sort of how we we knew that they would play, and we we did not play how we said we wanted to play, uh, especially against uh, Poonam, who got all the wickets. Uh, we actually had a, sort of a plan to her, and we just did not do that. At all, and that was probably the most frustrating thing. So I don't know whether the pressure got to us. That you could probably say it did, uh, but we did not handle that situation very well at all. And that was, yeah, we took that loss pretty hard. Um, but I guess the good thing about tournament play is that you really only got a couple of days between that and the next game, and you got different opponent as well. So it sort of helped us get back into it pretty quick. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just such a massive build up, and then to perform like that against mm. a really good Indian team, like it wasn't going to be easy. And that's the thing with T20 cricket is, and I think the media forget this sometimes, um, is that T20 cricket is very fickle and like one mm. change the game in an over or a few balls even. And like if one person has an amazing few minutes, that actually can win you the game. So the best thing yeah. is to always win. It's actually about what happens on the, on the night. So, you know, we're very aware of that. And I think everyone who plays Cricket would understand that, but uh, the media just seems to think that the best team on paper um, is definitely going to win. And in T20 cricket, especially, the shorter the format, the closer it sort of brings teams together. Yeah. And, I mean, the second game, in my opinion, was your best game. 
So just just for the listeners out there that didn't um, watch the game or don't remember it, so Healy and Mooney were the opening batters and they went out quite quickly. And then Ash Gardner went out uh, fairly early as well. I think they were all in single digits. And this was after you'd lost the first game. So I, and I know you were at the crease with the vice-captain, Rachel Haynes, um, and that was the most important partnership of the tournament, in my opinion, but also in Matthew Mott, your coach's opinion, who also said that was the turning point of your tournament. Now, in that innings, Meg, you you, you weren't really on, on top of your game, like, let's be honest. No, I wasn't. You, you were a bit scratchy, and I remember, you know, watching it, and you couldn't hit the ball behind point, and you weren't hitting it through covers, and I was desperately worried about you because for anyone that knows Meg that's where she hit you know just put all the players on the offside and you've got a bit of a hope of stopping it and you were missing a few on the outside off but I mean I think the critical thing was that you still got through and that you battled on and that's why I think it was an extraordinary innings because you weren't on your game but the team needed you and you stepped up so my question is in terms of whether you're a cricketer or for the hockey players out there when you kind of know you're not hitting them as well as you want to. How did you just battle through it and 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 keep going um, for the team? Because a lot of times it would just be easy to throw your wicket away and go, oh, this is just not not our day. What what were you thinking mentally, and and how did you become so resilient to actually get through that innings? Uh, well, I can tell you that there's been a lot of times in my career so far where I have thrown it away and it hasn't worked out, and I'm very lucky on on that occasion as well. I think they to review on me when I didn't hit it and then uh, when I didn't hit it, the umpire didn't give me out and they didn't have a review. So that was a bit of luck. But, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I'm just like I'm a really competitive person and, and I like to win. And in that moment it was sort of my turn to dig in a little bit. And we were lucky in that respect that we, we were only chasing, I think, 120 or something like that. So so me and Rach, who I was batting with, we, we spoke about it like, like – we didn't have to go really hard straight away and we actually needed to just absorb a little bit of their excitement because when I guess you're playing teams who are not expected to beat you, if they get a little bit of a roll on them, they get really excited in the field, they get a lot of energy and if you let that keep going, then it, it can become an issue. But as soon as you build a partnership, then they go quiet pretty quick. So we knew that was what we needed to do in the in the beginning of that partnership and then once we got through that initial stage, um, we just were, were batting really um, because we weren't under a lot of scoreboard pressure. So it, it meant that we didn't have to do too much. So uh, Rach batted really well in that game. She was hitting the boundaries and I was just scuffing them to, to the fields on the boundary, not doing a lot. So um, I guess that was a good lesson as well in terms of I wasn't going well, but Rach was. So together in the, the partnership, uh, we were actually doing what we needed to do. So sometimes you can get a little bit focused on what you're doing and how you're going instead of thinking about the team and, and just playing a little bit of a role. So I guess on that day that was how I saw it. Yeah, which is it, which is actually so interesting for the listeners to hear because a lot of it is you don't even realise how much batters actually communicate with each other and almost make that decision, okay, Rach, you're going to kick on and be quite aggressive and then you were kind of anchoring the innings. And just for the listeners out there, she still made – Megan still made 41 not out. And when you said you weren't under much scoreboard pressure, Meg, you, you only got the runs in that final over. Am I correct? Yeah, that's correct, yep. And, um, <laughs> so it was quite close. All the way through. Uh, we, we, we essentially knew we needed one big over in the innings. Uh, yep. And when one of their bowlers came on and Rach was hitting with the wind, uh, pretty much she said, okay, this is it. And she went and she hit two sixes and then we were in front. Mm. And then we'll skip forward a couple of games where they went quite well and, you, you know, you guys were getting back on track and had, had a nice game against New Zealand, which was a critical one here in Melbourne. And then semi-final day, gosh, that was a that was a long day. And I remember messaging you in the morning and I was, you know, said, oh, you know, the rain will settle down, you'll be fine, you'll get on, good luck. And in my own private head I was like oh my god they're not going to get they're not going to get a game here it's it's going to be washed out when she was sending you those messages well she was sending me messages going this game's not going to go ahead (laughs) the game's going to be over they're not going to get through to the final this is so unfair well my my mum was supposed to fly up to Sydney with my dad um to watch and um Susie J 
just really thought that the game wasn't going to go. So she didn't even fly up. She just thought we were done. Well, I think Susie J and I are the worst pair. And I'm always glad that we didn't sit together in that World Cup final because I think we're more nervous than you are most of the time, Meg. And that was the most stressful week of my life, watching that World Cup. But basically, England and India was the first semi final, and that got called off. And then take the listeners through then kind of what took, you know, took course over the next few hours, we'll say, on that semi final day. And it was in Sydney, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was the SCG. So essentially, we'd finished second in our pool. So if we didn't get on all South Africa, would have gone straight through to the final. So we wanted to play so actually that was actually a good position for us to be in mentally because um i guess if you're in south africa's shoes they would have been like oh well if you don't get on it's not a bad thing like but but we really obviously needed to get on and play uh we had a lot of luck that night i'm not sure what happened but someone was watching over us and allowed us to get on the field because it had bucketed down the whole day like it was just it was just not good and we were all sort of pretty nervous heading to the ground it was belting down with rain heading to the ground uh rain for a lot of the time while we were there and then sort of few, saw a few gaps in the the radar and thought maybe we could get on and then somehow uh we were yeah able to start pretty much a full game from the you know from when we started um we lost the toss well I lost the toss which is pretty normal you lost it which is yep. yeah I was about to say just for the listeners out there I know the toss is supposed to be 50 <laughs> 50 but I reckon you're 30 70 yeah if I'm lucky so um but at, what a best to lose because I didn't really want to have to make a decision on what we were doing because um yeah I think ordinarily when there's weather around you usually field first send the opposition in and that's probably what done but it sort of worked in our favor a little bit us batting first so we ended up batting for our full 20 um yeah i batted for probably 15 overs or so and got 50 40 40 something i think um 49 not out megan yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so i was going along at the start but i didn't really finish with a big flourish which was disappointing we lost a few wickets through the middle which halted us a little bit so i think we got 128 maybe um Sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. And which was which was okay, but we were by no means um sort of a, a lock in and South Africa had a few good players uh, to come out, but uh, just as we were finishing our bat- finishing our batting innings it started to rain again. Um and then it rained through the innings break and we, so we were delayed starting our fielding innings and we we really thought we were done then and I actually think that would have been worse if we'd started the game and we were in it and then it rained again and we didn't get to, to finish it. So, yeah, we just pretty much had our fingers crossed that it was going to stop and when it sort of eased a little bit, we were out there warming up, getting ready and South Africa was still in their, in their change rooms uh, just sort of watching. So we were obviously keen to get out there and then, yeah, our bowls did a great job and um, it was pretty tense the whole way through, uh, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, our bowls did and and they it was a shortened innings as well because of the rain, wasn't it? It was nine nine overs, I think we um yeah we ended up bowling. So so they could just go all out, full aggressive. Yeah, yeah, and that's when teams are often dangerous. You know, the the less mm. overs there are, the closer again it brings the team. So um, yeah, it was very nerve wracking. I don't think I've ever felt so sick during a fielding innings or nervous. Like every ball just was really important, and uh, yeah, it was um. It was certainly a great game once we got to the end of it. It was. And then on the plus side, we had a very enjoyable cruisy grand final. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it was a it was an intense tournament, but it was just wonderful that you could enjoy that, that grand final and, and just talk us through um, what it was like to be out there, you know, and kind of know you had it in the bag for a while. Yeah, yeah. That was – it was quite funny how it all panned out. Obviously, all the stress and nerves throughout the tournament you know, you often think that it would be at its worst during the the final, but um, it was the total opposite, really. Uh, and uh, we actually saved our best performance till till last, which is something I'm really proud of our group for. To be able to, on that stage, put a really good performance together is is just sort of shows where we're at as a group, and um, you know how our, our skill base, I guess, but also our mental ability to embrace what we were heading into. You know, something that we had never experienced before, and India hadn't either, and uh, I just could see in uh, in our team that we were ready to take it on and embrace it. We weren't scared by what we were heading into. 86,000 people obviously can make you a little bit nervous, but 
we didn't look nervous at all, really. We were really excited about the chance. Everyone had smiles on their faces in the warm-up. And we just wanted to make the most of what was going to be an amazing opportunity. And I think India got a little bit nervous and um, probably didn't quite embrace it as much as we did. And I think that sort of showed in the in the performance. And, yeah, it's not often in a World Cup final that you get to soak it all in, I guess, and know that you've won it from a, a little way out. Um, so, yeah, those last sort of five overs in the field were, were pretty cool. And uh, especially that last catch by Ash Gardner was very exciting and we were all running around like idiots, I think, but um, yeah, that was certainly a good night. And and Meg, what was the atmosphere and what was the atmosphere like on the field? Sarah and I were in the, the stands at that moment with your family and I know for us it was so electric. It was It was like, it was similar to an AFL final. There was 85,000 people in the stadium. There was there was so much energy, but what was like that on the field? I'm sure that would have been the biggest crowd you would have played in front of. What was it like for you guys out there? Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, certainly, yeah, the biggest crowd by a long way. And uh, I just remember when uh, we were probably five overs or so for the end and everybody had their phone lights on and the Mexican wave was going and we were just sort of looking at each other in the field, smiling um, at each other and yeah, just trying to take it all in, really. Um, but, yeah, the atmosphere was incredible. The roar when that last catch got taken was, um, yeah, certainly something I'll never forget. And, uh, yeah, the whole the whole night, uh, the lead-up, the Katy Perry concert at the end, like nothing really. <laughs> like everything just went how you would imagine it to go, and that just never happened. So uh, we were very lucky. Were. I think that was the first time in my whole entire life I've shed a tear for happiness, <laughs> the, the pure relief and happiness when, even though I knew guys were going to win, when Ash Gardner took that winning catch, oh, it was just just the most incredible thing, just knowing the build-up to such the big tournament because, you know, you've had big games in the past with, um, you know, losing to the, the West Indies and, you know, winning a few World Cups before, but I think um, – that one was definitely the most exciting. Now, what's next on the cards for the women's cricket team, Meg? You've obviously got this um, tour that you're in semi-quarantine now before you head off to Queensland to quarantine. And we know the World Cup got cancelled for next year, but what, what's next for the women's cricket team? It's a good question. Uh, so yes, yeah, so we've got New Zealand coming up, which is a six-game series which we're looking forward to. Uh, and then we've got our domestic schedule so WBBL which will sort of run October November we're not quite sure what that looks like yet probably be in a hub as well um, but really post that it's sort of up in the air a little bit India are supposed to come out uh, here in January Feb for a, a tournament that was supposed to be pre-world cup but we're not sure whether that will go ahead or not so sort of 2021 actually looks relatively quiet uh, at the moment I'm sure there'll be some cricket in there somewhere but it's not really a busy schedule but once we get to 2022, uh, it's a different story. So we we could potentially at this stage have uh, a home Ashes series and then a one-day World Cup and then uh, the Commonwealth Games. Cricket's actually in the Commonwealth Games. Oh, yeah. So you're going to live out one of your childhood dreams, just not in hockey. It's going to be in cricket instead. Who would have yeah. thought? No, I didn't think that would happen. So uh, looking forward to that. That would be really exciting. And then um, – potentially a T20 World Cup too on the back end of that. So oh. we could have four really massive tournaments uh, in one year. So wow. maybe a little bit quiet next year, but uh, be pretty busy after that. Yes. And, I mean, what, what have you seen from a women's sport perspective? Obviously, there's been a huge growth in it. What have, what have you seen as the biggest change in women's sport over your, say, 10 years? Uh, I think it's twofold. So obviously there's more um, – professionalism I guess you could call it in uh, women's sport at the top end in terms of the elite pathway and uh, yeah, how many resources are put into that now into allowing people to become much better athletes and sports people um, you know, in their in their chosen sport but the other thing which I think is great is the opportunity for young people to get involved in the game and, and play sport. Uh, when I grew up there really only was boys teams to play cricket in uh, and I didn't mind that, but I'm sure that was a barrier for a lot of young girls coming through. And, and now that they've got the opportunity to play in girls' teams and uh, and sort of get into cricket that way, and, and it's not just cricket, it's hockey as well, and there's other sports, AFL, uh, which are sort of growing in that respect as well. So, 
you know, there's yeah, just so many great opportunities to, to play sport and be active at whatever level you would like. Uh, but that's certainly been a big difference since I came through. Yeah. And I mean, how have you gone, well, not so much anymore, because at the current time, cricket is um, obviously your job and the, the most important thing. But when you were younger, how did you go juggling school, hockey, cricket, um, and then obviously studies, cricket, and a bit of hockey? Um, how did you go juggling that and what do you think you learned from that? Uh, well, I think it's just something that sort of I'd always done and that's sort of what everybody did, um, especially sort of 10 years ago when I was sort of coming through. You know, you'd, you'd train at night and study your work during the day. So that was sort of just was the norm and uh, you just sort of learned how to juggle all that. Um, time management was something that I guess – you learned pretty early on and, you know, have needed to, to carry that through. You know, luckily now, um, yeah, cricket is uh, full-time for me, so that takes up the majority of my time. But I've done a little bit of study along the way here and there. So it's nice to be able to, to keep that going. I think that's really important because cricket will end uh, at some point, probably not too far away. So uh, there's, you know, you know, things that you need to have lined up, I guess, to, to do once you finish out playing sport. And, and I mean, carrying on from that, you you've just started your MBA. So do you want to tell listeners a little bit more about that? Because obviously you've already put some thought into that, Meg. Yeah, yep. So I've I've done a uni degree, an undergrad degree in exercise health science. Uh, it took me eight years to finish a three year course, but I got there. <laughs> uh, so that was nice. And then uh, yeah, especially over this last sort of four or five months, where I've had a little bit more time on my hands than I thought I might, uh, I, I sort of decided it was a good chance to do some more study and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do but yeah an opportunity came up to do an MBA um, and I hadn't really done a lot of business studies previously I didn't know a lot about it so I thought you know what you know no better time to to get into it and learn something new and I might not like it but at least then I'll know Uh, so yeah I've, I've really enjoyed it so far it's very different to sport obviously but there you know you can sort of are some correlations, I guess, off the field in management and things like that. So, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's given me something to do during the day uh, and so I feel very productive rather than um, sitting around wishing I could be running outside. So, yeah, it's been a nice nice change, I guess, to have something else to focus on. And what else have you been focusing on during these COVID times, apart, apart from now since we've been in Stage 4? But prior to that, I think you were enjoying some golf. I was, yeah. I'm nine holes from getting my handicap, which um, I had a round lined up on the Tuesday uh, just after we got put back into stage four lockdown. So that was a bit sad. But uh, yeah, I'm not very good at golf, but I enjoy it because I love being outdoors and active. And um, it sort of kills two birds with one stone. I get to play sport and, and walk around. So, uh, and it's it's a good social thing to do as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, as I said, I'm not very good at it, but um, I I give it a crack. Bit like the tennis, not not too good at that either, are we? Should that no, no. <laughs> no, we 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 did enjoy some uh, tennis during COVID. I think I I took the the cookies for that one. We were a bit very competitive. Um, couldn't help ourselves, could we? No, no. I mean, it was always bound to happen, but the moment True. we thought we had it under control, we definitely didn't. So there were some good lessons in there. Well, very good lessons just because you can play hit a, hit a hockey or a cricket ball does not mean you can hit a tennis ball. So I think we have new appreciation for that as well. Mm-hmm. So in terms of after your cricket career, Meg, do you have anything um, planned or anything that you're thinking about doing? Because I know you did your level three coaching course as well. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I don't know. I'm sort of in the phase of trying to work that out. Uh, I did do the level three coaching course because as – Yes, a couple of, a couple of players like we got the opportunity to be involved in that course, so I thought it was probably something uh, good to do. You know, not really knowing if I wanted to be a coach or not, uh, but that was a good learning experience. And then obviously, yeah, I'm doing my business course at the moment, uh, so I guess yeah, there's a little bit of trial and error uh, while I'm still playing. Uh, so just trying to work out what I like and what I don't like, and then hopefully when I retire, which is still a few years away yet. I'm going to give you another six six years. Six, yeah, I'd be happy with that. Six years. Oh. What would that? Would that be thirty four? Would it be thirty four? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's still very young. Just go oh, later. 
matter. I might be able to get a year or so more than that. But well, you probably on. can. I, I was just I didn't want to make the goal too large for you and create that expectation. So that's why I was I was trying to find a happy medium. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a bit of time up my sleeve, but I don't want you to do and and have no idea where I'm going next. So hopefully I can work it. Meg, you'll have to be forced from the ground. I can imagine. I can imagine <laughs> leaving very early. Oh, I hope not. I hope not. The the warm ups will get me. I reckon. I I don't. I don't know about any of you out there, but warm ups get me every time. Oh, Me- Meg and I used to have a saying <laughs> in hockey. What was it, Megan? The poorer our warm up, yeah, the, yeah, the, worse, the better we play. Yeah, we always had our best games when our warm ups was shot. Mm-hmm. And I still remember that day in that Canberra game. We could not trap a ball. <laughs> that whole warm-up before the grand final, and we just turned to each other and said, we're going to have a good day. Yeah, yeah, warm-ups are, yeah. Warm-ups are overrated, people. You heard that from yeah. the Australian cricket captain yeah. and, and, and a physio, so, you know, overrated. Now, Meg, what advice would you have, just to finish off, like, just for young cricketers, young hockey players, young athletes, what advice would you have for them? I, I think just to give everything a go like I think we're so lucky at the moment we get some really good opportunities to uh both you know play sport try new things meet new people um and just really embrace uh trying new things and getting out of your comfort zone and it doesn't mean that you have to take everything on board or use everything that you see or do but you never really know until you try and um yeah I guess sometimes we get a little bit stuck in our comfort zone and don't really want to uh, put ourselves out there but uh, yeah I just encourage everyone to try new things experiment a little bit be be happy to make mistakes um, because that's where we learn our best so just don't be afraid to take things on. Brilliant well thank you so much for for joining us today Megan it's it's been an honour to have you here on our Campbell Hockey Club podcast as Stephanie said it's it's very hard to get you to chat um you know you do like to keep to yourself so I'm glad that we had this exclusive interview with you today so thank you very much for joining us no worries thank you um Meg I look forward to you posting this on your Instagram account (laughs) just letting your followers know that you're on the hockey the Campbell Hockey Club podcast yes yeah well they'll be you heard it here that I've posted a minute it just doesn't have i think i'm over a month for my last one so i'm probably due you do we're due for it just want an instagram story you don't need to have a whole post about it oh stephanie i think we've got to have a post this is no one reads the posts it's all the stories they tell me that well there you go see this is why megan and i are friends neither of us are any good at social media and in fact (laughs) it took us a while to get the technology going today to even do this podcast So let's hope it's actually recorded. (laughs) On that note, everybody, thank you very much for listening. And thanks, Meg. All good. You've been listening to the Camberwell Hockey Podcast. We'd like to send a big thank you to our hosting team, our guests, and you, the listener, for your support. If you enjoy the show, please give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is recorded and produced by Camberwell Hockey Club in Melbourne, Australia. If you have any feedback, comments or questions, please find us on Twitter at Camberwell underscore HC or see more information on our website, camberwell.hockey. See you next week.